0: Hello, and welcome back to Conversations with Claire. We are inching rapidly towards episode 50, which feels like a milestone, and I'm super eager to get there, but also really enjoying the process. So anyway, thank you for choosing to be here. Today, my guest, this, this is gonna be, the topic we're gonna get into is, I couldn't be more excited about it, uh, and it's also, ha- it's got some weight to it. So my guest today is Ian Mai, he is the founder, am I pronouncing your last name correctly?
1: Uh, it's May. May. But I go by either, May or May, not offended by you. I'm so
0: glad I said that. Well, you know, we'll have stuff in the in the notes for, anyway. Um, in May. <laughs> Good to know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so you're the founder of PornElimination.com. Correct. You are currently working on a workbook, and you do coaching surrounding that. Yep. The director of spiritual care at The Hope Project. You're a girl dad and a husband. And a fitness enthusiast. Yeah. So that, uh, that's that's who you are today in this moment. And uh, partially what we talked about, partially what it said on LinkedIn. So <laughs> uh, I want to go into kind of how we met first and then also like why we're here. And so, of course, we met through the Hope Project. And, you know, you've always just been super supportive. But, but we've, this, today we'll, undoubtedly be the most at length conversation that we've had and so it's been brief our interactions have always been brief they've always been great but they've always been brief you have chosen to be a resource to people that I love about this topic before and so that's about the extent of my awareness of that but I knew that you had been a resource to people for this topic and then we were at Rogue Invitational over this past weekend, which was amazing. And you guys were there doing content for Hope Project. And I was there doing whatever it is that I do, having a great time. So good. <laughs> and the conversation we had there, I don't even know exactly what it was. But either way, it was just kind of at the end of that conversation, I was like, we need to do, like, I need to have him on the episode or on the podcast and we need to unpack this thing because you are willing to speak about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you and I connected early on and just our discussions around addiction, mm-hmm. you know, I struggled with with addiction for quite a long time, you know, not just the, the pornography, but, um, you know, alcoholism into my 20s, something that I was called out of, but wasn't my original addiction. So uh, you and I connected in just even having conversations and, and just making room for each other and discussing the topic. And um, I think for me personally, over time I've just continued to develop more comfort of being able to say, hey, I struggled with this too. It wasn't ever just the alcohol for me. It wasn't ever just the food addiction and food and for me. It it was also this other secret private thing that I just could never feel like I talked about. Uh, But I think something as the world continues to change and this becomes more prevalent our ability to have taboo conversations and make it less taboo to be able to say that hey people can have struggled with something like porn addiction and they're not this perverse scum of the earth right and and that's that's kind of the shame and guilt that people have and and the pendulum swings hard each direction of either one you should feel all the shame about this thing which is what we saw when we were kids and nobody talked about this this wasn't a conversation around pornography in this industry Mm. to the last 10 years it swung the other direction where hey all is fair you do you you let your freak flag fly and 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 all is fair when it comes to uh, imbibing and pornography and you know as you and i can both appreciate it's not necessarily that we're shaming the industry so much as mm-hmm. anytime you have readily available dopamine, there is going to be this risk for overuse, abuse, and then painful addiction. Mm-hmm. So I think, me being the type of person who, one, I, I'm an overshare as it is, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that I spent 20 some years having this thing be this very private and hidden thing the way the the start to me coming away from that was just being brutally honest, brutally open. uh, Gosh, I can only
0: imagine it was like, wasn't talked about for 20 plus years. And then all of a sudden you finally get to talk about it. You probably couldn't shut up.
1: Yeah. All of my men's groups that I was in, that I connected with and talked with, like it it was a topic painfully so for them, um, but was all part of the process. And, And that's something for me that I think us being able to learn and develop language and even just a posture for how to communicate what it is that we're experiencing, what we're going through that it it was never about the alcohol. It was never about the pornography. It's never about the thing that you're binging on. It's always about what is that underlying emotional experience that you're not having, Mm -hmm. that you're not allowing yourself to have. Mm -hmm. Uh, how do I, how do I have that conversation of, hey, my, my wife turned me down for sex and I feel bad about myself and my body, even though that's not what she's saying. That's the yeah. story that I'm telling myself. But I reaffirm and reinforce that belief when I then go turn to pornography or some other addictive behavior when I when I experience that thing, right? And so I think for me, I feel uniquely called to be able to help people develop the language, have the conversations, and ultimately remove the taboo because mm-hmm. it's only going to continue to get worse as the speed of the internet And availability of this dopaminergic resource uh, comes into fruition.
0: Totally. Yeah. So I just. Before we get into the weeds of it, obviously everyone is now aware of what we're here to talk about today, and I want to just shout out your wife Britt and just simply say that she is brave and she is a badass, and we can leave that there. But I think that obviously I have tremendous respect for partnerships. Um, I really look to a lot of married friends of mine and just observe and and uh, and applaud you all for choosing to do a hard thing there, and so. I think that's probably where I'll leave that, but I just want to say like, shout out. You're awesome.
1: <laughs> She's the best. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, I think, uh, the strength that she has is 100% the reason why I've been able to see success for me and coming out of this addiction because of her just continued affirmation to be able to say, I know that this doesn't define you. And I know that you're going to come out of this. Yeah. And despite the, the hurt and what she witnessed and what she went through, very quickly, she was able to say, I don't believe this is it for you and this isn't it for us. Yeah. So despite, you know, the the challenges that we had and the taxing issues of what that addiction caused our marriage, when she became fully aware of how prevalent it was... Mm-hmm. She was aware of me watching pornography, but not to the extent that it got to mm-hmm. and how debilitating I was in dealing with it. But her ability to be able to sit with all of it and be able to say, like, this isn't for you. I know that there's going to be more for you than this. Uh, and I'm here for it. But but you've got to put in the work. Right. Yeah. And so there was this expectation early on of get to work. You're a hardworking guy. Now it's just time to direct that hard work towards this other thing.
0: Totally. God. Women are so cool. Like, I, they're so, I'm like, that's incredible. The fact that she shows up in that way is so cool. It also, the hard work thing that you reference, it just makes me think of, I want to say, and I've, I've regurgitated this a million times, probably on this podcast even recently, but it's so good. It's something I think I heard first said by Rich Roll on one of his podcasts that was just in regards, or maybe he was being interviewed on someone else's, I'm not sure. Anyway, you know, recovery is not for, and so for me, I'm thinking alcoholism, right? But for this, it would be porn, but you could apply it to anything, anything, any form of healing from a thing, right? It's not for people who want it. It's not even for people who need it because goodness, we need it. Um, it's for people who are willing to do the work. And so I love that, that you touch on, this is like a hard work endeavor. Um, and that she also had the belief in you to go, you're a person capable of this now get to work. Mm -hmm. So And I just, you know, I want to unshamefully, which you're going to beautifully do that, uh, unpack like what this thing is and it's, you know, the impact that it's had on how you've shown up, the impact that it's had on your relationships and things like that. But we'll get there. But let's start with like, where did this all get started?
1: Yeah, I think that's the important part to even really talk about is typically it's where it starts that causes the biggest problem. Um, for most, for myself and other guys that I've worked with, it's usually something that they came into contact with early adolescent years. So, I mean, for me, I believe I was 10, 11 years old when I first came into contact with pornography. Um, And on top of that, just some of the things that I witnessed and experiences that I had around abuse, uh, that pornography very quickly turned into this thing that was my emotional crutch that I turned to. So you add to the fact that So I grew up in a Lutheran household. There was always expectations relating to faith with school, with sports, um, and also with work. Like a common phrase in my family was, gotta love a working man. And so the first time that I ever came in contact with pornography was through a job that I was doing for my neighbor. And so I was shoveling, you know, horse manure and cleaning out a stable And then all of a sudden I go into the house to go to the bathroom and there's stacks and stacks and stacks of pornography. Like as tall as I was at 10 or 11 years old, there was this availability of it. Mm. So but hearing this praise of, like, gotta love a working man, it just, like, immediately taught me that you were allowed to have this secret issue, the secret thing that you were going through, mm-hmm. as long as you checked all the boxes, as long as you worked, as long as you went to church, as long as you were good in school, good at sports. And so I did everything I could to tick all of the boxes.
0: So let me ask you before you keep going, just because this is, this is, I love the naivety I kind of show up to this conversation with. So you're introduced around the age of 10 which i think that these days it's typically lower in age and also it's video format uh but were you aware upon introduction something about this is wrong or quote unquote wrong like I, maybe not even that but just like what was your interaction in that moment you're like whoa what is this you know had you heard of it before do you have any idea what was going on or i mean can you speak to that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, there were other opportunities for me to look at pornography at a younger younger age than that even. Like a kid at school brought a magazine. Um, but because I still was so worried about w- watching something like that in front of others, I cared so much about what other people thought yep. that it was, again, like this internalized thing that this opportunity was like the first time for me to do it with my own privacy and no one, to, no one to have to like make any judgments of me yeah. and it kind of just became this privatized thing. Totally. Um, but also I think the nature of like what I was feeling. Um, I mean, I, th- I think my, I would say libido and sexuality was, I was hyper aware of that at a very, very, very young age. Right. And that's something I think it's hard for people to talk about the fact that, you know, four or five year old, like you get erections when you're an infant mm-hmm. <laughs> and some mothers are like blown away by that when they have a son yeah. and for the first time. They're just like, Oh, this is uncomfortable. You know, like I'm changing a diaper and, and, and this is happening. Right. So like as taboo as it is, like I was hyper aware of it, but yes, like always constantly felt this level of shame and guilt. And this is not supposed to be something I'm supposed to address or, or talk about with anybody.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you're introduced and finally it's something that you can do that you can enjoy that you can do privately. So there's not the shame attached to it at the point, or at least, you know, there's nobody else knows this is going on and this is some form of a release for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of became a a safe haven that whenever I had time alone at that point, um, that there was this like need to go try to seek and find it. And, um, I mean, when the magazines weren't available, then it was me trying to find movies that had some kind of nude it or sure. whatever, right? Like there was just always this like need for searching and, you know, we can talk about more of this when it comes to the recovery aspect of... Yeah um, you know, dopamine isn't just the the pleasure of getting the thing. It's also the thing to motivate, right? To get you to move, to go seek and find the thing that you're, you're searching for. Gosh,
0: right? yes. Yeah. And I mean, the thing I could relate that to for me today, just because I've fortunately been made aware of the alcoholism feature of my life and that that doesn't work for me. And thankfully I'm sober for just over two and a half years. Hello. So big, uh, yeah. but that makes me think of phone you know and and i know that this is something that we can talk about at some point as well because this is something that you monitor carefully uh but i catch myself especially as i'm choosing to build a thing that using social media as a tool for i also you know it's been very interesting because it wasn't originally like i was just doing it because it was asked to be done by a brand that i was working with and then all of a sudden my ego liked it and so i i am hyper aware today of like, how many times am I opening this thing just to get some sort of external validation? And like, you know, and so it's just an interesting thing to just be like aware of and, um, and coexist with I suppose. Right. And and thankfully today I'm able to go that's ego food and what is soul food. Mm-hmm. And soul food is really important. And so let's make sure we're doing sufficient amounts of that. And that's the not sexy stuff, but that's the good stuff. So anyway, um okay. Back to so we we're growing up, we're getting exposure to it. We're getting more exposure to it. You know, I, I kind of want to Move along through that because I want to get into the solution stuff, you know,
1: real quick, though. I do want to point out like one of the big drivers, I would say for me at that age was I had this like crippling fear. Uh, Girls were an anomaly to me. Like I did not have friends that were girls as a kid. So for me, like part of the drive and the interest in it was like I need to learn and understand all the things related to women uh. Like it wasn't just porn magazines. Like I was looking at medical journals to try to get like a whiff of a naked lady to understand what I was looking at yeah. for this like crippling fear that when I get married, I'm going to have a wife who I'm not going to understand, not know how to please. And I'm going to like struggle with all of this. Yeah. And it's not conversations I know how to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that's the, the thing that started it and was very prevalent and still kind of went, through a lot of the struggles and addiction that I had later on was still this like sense of inadequacy. Yeah. Um, that was very much an underlying theme for me.
0: Mm. If that's not relatable, I don't know what is, you know, it's interesting to finally arrive at a place in your life where you're like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> so much of my behavior has been derived from this thing of like, I just need you to love me. You know, like if you think about it, it was like you were desperate for all of this information so that hopefully some future partner would like be think you were doing it right. Right. Like you just needed to be loved. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I think for a lot of men, especially single men that I talk to, is that they assume that someday this won't be a problem because they will have a girlfriend. They will get married. Mm. And so, hey, this is just something that I do now that won't be an issue but the internal work that you have to do isn't going to go away just because you get married, just because you have a sexual partner. Like that's not going to change just because now it's immediately accessible. In fact, it can be far worse because now you have to even be more vulnerable with this person, more known. And if you have this fear that you can't be fully known because they can't understand potentially whatever depravity that you feel like your existence is, then you're only going to continue to separate yourself you keep reinforcing that idea with something like pornography and, again, the dopamine. doesn't matter what the dopamine is. Right. It can be anything. Yeah. You're reinforcing whatever that thought is, that belief that I can't connect with this person. This person won't love me if they knew me completely. Uh, there's a lot to that.
0: So at what point do you start to become aware that your relationship with this thing is somehow not jiving with you?
1: Um, so, I mean, there's obviously the, the major impact that it had on my marriage. And
0: so is that really, truly the first time that you were like questioning or like, this is actually causing problems.
1: Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's necessary to kind of dig into my faith journey a little bit and I don't want to ostracize the audience. Um, but when I first moved to Austin, I was still really struggling with alcohol um, I had that like typical moment where you're just in a heap in the shower and I prayed for the first time in years. I was a militant atheist for years, partially due to this pornography struggle that this is just how it was made. I was born this way, like don't try to change me and so on. But with the alcohol aspect of it, I was in this crumbled heap and I prayed for the first time in the years, probably five years. I was like, God, if you exist, this can't be it for me. And within 24 hours, my ex-girlfriend at the time, texted me saying, hey, here's this Bible verse that I think you need to hear. And so I started this process of trying to understand this bigger picture, this bigger vision for my life. Needless to say that ex-girlfriend is now my wife and the mother to my kid. And so the journey that I had in my faith was actually very much so foundational to our relationship and our marriage. So ultimately when my wife really came to understand the nature of my addiction and how prevalent it was. And it wasn't just something I did to relax every now and then mm-hmm. that it was constant daily, multiple times a day, like the same way that you might open up your phone and check your Instagram. I was doing the same thing with all of these addictive patterns and websites and so on.
0: You're in your mid twenties.
1: Um, at, at this point I was in my late thirties. Okay. Not, sorry, not late thirties. I was like, <laughs> I you're was not into there My thirties. I'm not in my late thirties now. I'm 35. But yeah, this was, this was in 30, 31 years old.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just trying to get context for, because, so then alcohol was still a part of your life at that time as well.
1: So, uh, and I apologize. Contextually, That's when okay. my wife found out about the porn addiction, that was into my thirties. Gotcha. When I had this kind of aha moment and this prayer, that was 20, 22, 23 when okay. that happened. Yeah. Okay. But still, even though I got rid of the alcohol, I was still Mm -hmm. using pornography. And that was really like the thing that I used to emotionally cope with stress at work, stress in relationships, not, you know, the feeling of inadequacy. Anytime I felt that I used this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, as we talk about kind of recovery, you can reinforce a thought just as much as you can reinforce an action. Mm -hmm. So if you're in, if you're feeling inadequate, and then you turn to Instagram to get a little dopamine hit to remove that inadequacy, your brain actually reinforces the feeling of inadequacy. And that's the part that we don't talk about when it comes to dopamine. We look at it as the thing that causes action, but we can also reinforce beliefs and thoughts just as much. So if my, I'm telling my body that inadequacy is a good thing through dopamine, it'll continue to reinforce feelings of inadequacy. And so the only real way to kind of overcome that is acknowledging that the feeling can also trigger this drive and this function towards that thing.
0: Okay. Okay. So it's a prevalent part of your life, and then you start to go, "Oh shoot, it's having negative repercussions." Yeah.
1: Okay. So I think I think it's important to be able to talk about the the nature of addiction and how far it can go, specifically with pornography, right? Because yeah. it's. Um, you know, you, you feel anxious because you just got off a a call and it didn't go well. I'm in sales. I've been in tech sales for 10 years. Call didn't go well. Well, how can I feel good? I can turn to this thing and I can have access to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm struggling to fall asleep. I can turn to this thing and it can help me relax to fall asleep. I'm feeling stressed about getting laid off during COVID. I can turn to this thing to feel good. Right. And it's not, again, it's not the fact that the pornography was ever the issue. It's that not being able to adequately deal with your internal emotional state. And that was becoming a thing where I literally couldn't feel good in any environment and any circumstances because I was using it for everything. Mm-hmm. To where the average person might if, if if I talk to a guy and he's watching pornography, the way that somebody has a, a Friday night drink and they can have one glass of whiskey and be just fine, then yeah, you probably don't have a problem with alcohol and nor do you have a problem with pornography. But If you're, I was drinking, you know, the equivalent of, of a fifth of vodka every single day when it came to my addiction. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it gets to the point where you can imagine the websites and the internet that you have, you can start creating community around your addiction Mm. to reinforce again, the behavior that you're struggling with. Okay. Um, and that's really the nature of where my addiction got to. Yep that when my wife became aware of all of that, where she wasn't aware that, hey, you're actually trying to connect with and surround yourself with other people who are essentially in the same addictive behavior that you are that are validating you for that versus this is now not allowing you to be showing up as as you should as a dad. Uh, It's not allowing you to show up effectively as a husband. Um, And those are all things that, again, like the start of my faith journey, that was the most important thing. So for me, when I finally got to the point of, you are running the risk of having your wife divorce you having some other man potentially raise your daughter um or worse for that matter like your your daughter coming to learn and understand that you've put this other thing prioritized that over the family Mm -hmm. and that you're no longer able to serve them effectively and serve them well when your whole life, like you've wanted to be a dad and you've wanted to be a good dad and you want to measure and you measure yourself that way to somewhat, but then being able to acknowledge, like if, if you want her to have a husband or a spouse that has a healthy life, you have to represent that and portray that. So as it came out of it, it was very much a lot of those types of thoughts that really encouraged me to, to make this change.
0: When well, it just makes me think of humanness, you know, hearing all of that, all I hear is humanness and how like, you know, I say this all the time because I mean it, uh, you know, we're all just humans out here trying, right. And isn't that the truth? And so like, even through all of this, as you're trying to like figure out, like, you know, it, you weren't trying to be a bad guy, you know, you weren't trying to whatever. So you were just a human trying to deal with life. And this was a tool that had been shown to you when you were a freaking kid. And you didn't know that the tool was then later going to have negative repercussions on something that mattered to you tremendously. I do want to ask you yet again, this is just like from the perspective of like what experience I can come up with that did your experience with pornography then influence your, um, perspective on sexual relationships with women. And so what I, I guess what I mean by that is like, I can speak to having had conversations with people who have struggled with this in the past who, uh, you know, say like they started to have all sorts of fantasies and started to think about, you know, whatever, a variety of different things. And, um, this is such an interesting one for me to be in this position. Cause so often when it comes up to it, like comes to addiction and like, Oh yeah, I'm in it with you. Like I got it. You know what I mean? So it's so interesting to me be in this chair right now. And like, be like, but this is one I like, I'm trying to understand yeah. and it's so prevalent and it's so like, there's just, there just can't be shame around it. I don't know. There just can't be shame around it. Right. Uh, but, di- but can you speak to that at all?
1: Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, one of the reasons why, uh, I mean, there's a there's a whole subreddit, um, NoFap on subreddit that's become prevalent and it has nothing to do with any sort of faith or religion. It's purely because of the fact that you are training your body to one, only get sexual pleasure from voyeurism, from voyeurism, from watching other people have sex. Like yeah. it's, it's sexual, but it is not sex, yeah. right? And so inevitably for a lot of guys that I talk to and work with, they've gotten to the point where physical intimacy with another living human being does not compare with the um, with the addiction that they have because they've trained their body that sexual fulfillment comes from pornogra- pornographic images and videos and then masturbation. So like there's a lot of scenarios where guys that I talk to are like, I'm having sex actively having sex and needing to picture or imagine something else or someone else. or I'm having to like create these very extreme scenarios in order to be able to either one and even start to enjoy myself. But a lot of the guys that I'll even work with where it's like, they won't even be able to get an erection if it's not involved. Right. And that's, that's the part to me where, uh, when it gets to that point, you're obviously in deep. Right. And now how do you come out of that? Mm -hmm. Because you're, there's just so much going on physically that, obviously there's plenty of thoughts that you have to acknowledge and be able to take under control, but now you're literally at the point where the normal real thing, the natural thing to go do isn't available to you anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it it absolutely can get that bad.
0: Well, and I've also heard talked about, I want to say this was a conversation that Theo Vaughn had had on his podcast with someone else. Um, some other comedian, I think if I'm referencing it correctly, I should really do better with my references. Like make sure like suss them out before I come on the pod and be like, okay, so here's the thing. But I think that's what that was. Anyway, whatever. Listen to a conversation amongst other humans on another podcast. And they were stating that in their experiences in the past with their own addictions with porn, that, uh, it had gotten to the point where, they, it was just like, it was just like uh, getting Uber Eats or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, I'd rather not put forth the effort to dress nice, go out, interact with a human, do the things in order to get the, you know, maybe, maybe at the end of the tunnel, the girl likes me, whatever. That's a lot of hard work. It is. Yeah. And I'd much rather just order some pizza in, sit here with my computer, get done what I need to get done. And like, that that was where they had arrived at. Um, now I feel bad because I'm not 100%, so maybe I shouldn't even say the name. But anyway, like that was something that I heard that was like, yeah, this is just the easier route to the end goal. So I just got in the habit of going easier route end goal.
1: Right. So, I mean, you talk about the fact that the likelihood that people will come into interaction with pornography is getting less and less, the, also the average age of people losing their virginity is increasing is increasing over time.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So, which really, yeah, and and exactly for the reason that you're talking about is that it is easier for a young man to just go fantasize about the thing rather yep. than go do the thing. Totally. Right, and so
0: well, I think the relatability of young men having a like fear of women is like every time I talk to even guys that are like jacked and like, I mean, you qualify as jacked, right? Like all these like guys that I'm around today, they were all so scared of women. Oh, absolutely. I, I,
1: I, when I've talked with some guys in their twenties and I'm just kind of like, how many women have you like approached unprompted and had a conversation with? And they're like, no, I don't do that. No, you don't do that. you You only do it through all of the swipe lefts and the swipe rights. Like just that art is lost because you, they feel like their only safety is behind the keyboard of their phone. Yes. And yeah, it it is hard to go talk to a woman in person and be vulnerable and be funny and be clever, but you have to go do it. So then it's not, it's not as hard the next time you do it. Like get shot down a hundred times. So then it no longer becomes painful and difficult, but this, that, that requires a lot.
0: This is so interesting because now I'm thinking, so I've been sober for a little over two and a half years and in that time. So right, I, whenever I would be in bars and so on, I would be approached, right? But there's this liquid courage factor that's going on for the other party. I cannot honestly, s- I don't know. It's certainly less than five. I don't know. The number of times in the past two and a half years that a male has approached me uh, in person and actually asked me whatever and the majority of the time that I've been sober I've also been single um int- it's just now you've got me like thinking about I'm like that's crazy cuz really you know I certainly do talk to men about like do you approach women whatever and um and, I, and it's got to be so hard I don't I don't envy y'all at all uh but or I guess not y'all cuz you don't have to do it anymore but men um but like it's just interesting to think about that it's like, I'd rather just not do that thing. And when I talk to guys that are single and they're like, I don't, they don't, they don't do it unless there's this well encouraging I, I, factor in, in play that I've experienced. I, I
1: hate to point out the fact though, that that courage doesn't go away just because you get married, right? Because now when you make that advancement, you try to bridge the gap to say, Hey, I'm now interested in intimacy and sex. That they can still turn you down just the same way as a random stranger might. Yeah. But how they do it, the way they do it, that men who are married are still thinking the same thing. Yeah. I could try to make the advancement and then have them turn me down. Or I could just go take care of this myself and not have to deal with the emotional turmoil of it. Yep. Like that doesn't go away just because you get married. Yeah. Right. And that's the part where like being able to be confident and saying like for for me, physical touch is one hundred percent one of my love languages, mm-hmm. and so it is important that I have healthy physical intimacy it doesn't always necessarily mean sex, sure right and that's the part though for me like developing and helping people develop communication around that. Like, the fear doesn't go away, though, just because you get married. In fact, it gets a little bit harder because this person does know you well. Oh, they
0: mean so much to you.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. That they absolutely can wound you horrifically with the way that re- they respond to that, yep. you know, that little interest that you're trying to show them and that advancement. So it doesn't go away. Eh. Uh, sometimes the stakes actually feel higher. Um, but again, like, it only becomes more important, though, that in your single life that you develop this kind of thick skin and ability to see the benefit of being vulnerable and honest and clever and witty. And like, that doesn't go away. way. Like I still have to be all of those things for, for my wife on a daily basis mm-hmm. in order to keep our marriage flourishing and that intimacy to be amazing and healthy and worthwhile.
0: Well, and even outside of your marriage, just relationally, if we take this outside of any sort of sexual, whatever, you know, just simply um, to have, interactions with other humans for you to feel good about you, you know, like you gotta like, and that's tough. Cause we want everybody to love us. And so it's just, sure. but like, am I happy with how I'm showing up and can I still go approach new individuals and whatever? And just like be str- strong, in my, like in my own person. Right. I don't know. Interesting.
1: Well, I mean, even think about it this way that like we, especially in the technology world i have been, like I said, tech sales for 10 years mm-hmm. that, uh, when COVID happened, I spent almost a year not having looked another person that I worked with in the eyes. Mm -hmm. I looked at a screen and therefore I'm like not even making eye contact with you. And this conversation that you and I are having, how much more personal and connective is it because we're making eye contact and we're sharing space? Absolutely. That there's all of these like physical, real in-person things that just are being lost just due to the fact that we can connect with and interact with and communicate with somebody over the internet. We lose all of those interpersonal skills.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's go now to what do you start to do about this thing? You identify that it's having some, you're struggling with it. You identify that your, your marriage is having a hard time as a direct result of it. And that's not something you want. So then what she says, do the work and you say, okay, okay. Now yeah.
1: So it's important to note that, uh, I mean, over those same 10 years of us kind of rekindling our, our relationship, I was also uh, into bodybuilding and a competitive bodybuilder. So I am no stranger to uh, cutting out alcohol, measuring everything I eat, and having this like extreme discipline for the sake of a goal that I have. Okay. So now I'm taking that same energy and attention from bodybuilding, weight training, dieting, Um, you know, you step on stage at four and 5% body fat, like that takes nine months worth of commitment, uh, just to be able to lose the weight, let alone to build the muscle in the first place. So now I'm taking that same attention and focus to now this other thing. So instead of thinking about, uh, what do I do to put the cookie down as Arnold Schwarzenegger would put it right to put it down like how how am I how am I showing up to make sure that this thing that I'm focused on I have to figure out all the different reasons why I use pornography either one to emotionally cope sometimes it's not even emotionally coping though I'm actually emotionally kind of dead and I'm just trying to feel something Mm. like it's used for boredom it's used when you can't sleep it's used like you just put it into all of these places and can just fill this gap for all of these things and I have to go about like untangling every reason why you turn towards something. Cause sometimes it's not, it's not some big important thing. Yeah. Sometimes it's very, it's the little small things. So, um, in, I can kind of break down the workbook a little bit cause this will kind of help illuminate it. So there's part of this is the identity statements or beliefs that you have about yourself. Right. I am such a, like, I'm such a man. I'm such a masculine man that I am capable of, Masturbating multiple times a day and then still being able to have sex with my wife like that must mean how much of a man am I and I validate myself for that thought that belief Uh and so some of it is like unwinding your perception of masculinity surrounding your virility or what have you Mm -hmm. so there's some amount of that so now I have to go and unravel all of my beliefs that are encouraging or motivating this behavior so first starting there then being able to acknowledge uh, whether or not, again, are those beliefs serving me and being able to remove pornography and this addiction from my life. Mm. So there's, there's some amount, I think, of being able to fixate on separating your thoughts from yourself, separating your beliefs from yourself and kind of holding your beliefs loosely so that you can hold them to scrutiny and does that scrutiny still align with your goal and your motivation? And for me, it's like, I want to have healthy intimacy with my wife. And the requirements that intimacy has, the honesty, the integrity of how I live when she's not there, Mm -hmm. um, being able to be fully truthful, fully known, Um, And then obviously the physical intimacy that's associated with all of that, that is now my number one goal. And I make that the core value that I have in everything that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So it's how long are you lingering on that video on on Instagram or YouTube? How long am I spending looking at this particular thing that maybe it's benign, but it's just slightly sexual enough that you can easily fall down this rabbit hole, right? Mm -hmm. So am I controlling the algorithms of the content that I'm looking at? Am I making my phone not as addictive, right? Like I highly encourage anybody who feels like they're even remotely close to a phone addiction every, every quarter, every six months or so spend a month with your phone on black and white and that's it. Make that phone as boring as possible and uninteresting as possible. And let me tell you, uh, colors of skin, nipples, and everything else don't look as interesting in black and white phone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like it's, yeah. just, it's just not going to do it for you, right? So just doing everything you can. One, yes, to set boundaries with yourself, with the content that you're watching. Totally. But then obviously spending a lot of time in the internal work of understanding your own perceptions of yourself, the thoughts that you have that potentially cause you to use that thing, Um, and then being able to do the work in reaffirming and reinforcing all of those new thoughts and those new beliefs, yeah. because you are the, the difficulty of this is that when you go so far into an addiction, you're, you've rewired your brain to really only feel dopamine with this really big spike, this really big, uh, experience. So the problem is, is that these small experiences that you might have going for a walk, spending some time with a friend, having a conversation with a loved one, all of those experiences start to diminish and their value or that feeling of dopamine that you have with those totally. because you only experience the good, right? And so the process of rewiring your brain, what I've noticed for most people is it's a 90 to hundred day, 120 day process, depending on how rigid you are within the process. Mm. The first Zero to 30 days, it's really just motivation. You're motivated by the goal that you set for yourself. You're you're gonna be disciplined, you're gonna turn your phone in black and white, you're not gonna watch those certain movies. You know, Game of Thrones isn't an option for you. You know, like you're gonna spend some time like putting aside the things that you used to do that would trigger, trigger these actions. Mm-hmm. That works well in those first 30 days, just being motivated. And like yep. I just don't need this thing anymore. 30 to 60 days, like that's typically when it gets a lot harder. You have to be much more resolute about it. Mm-hmm you will be triggered by random things that you didn't have any control over, mm-hmm. right? Like things that you weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, just being very critical of all of that stuff. Six 60 to 90 days though is when it is abysmally hard for everybody that I talk to. And the reason why is because that is when your brain is not giving you any dopamine to anything but your addiction. And that is when the brain is like trying to fight to keep this neural pathway in place Mm. because it worked really hard to keep, you know, you call it a rut. I'm stuck in a rut. This is a ravine and the walls are high around you and your brain just literally is not giving you any joy. There is no star in the sky for you. There is no good feeling. And you have to have this confidence to know that like this is what hard looks like. So when my wife told me to get to work. This is where the work matters. Yeah. And I'm struggling now so that I can feel more joy later. Yeah. I'm struggling now in removing this thing, knowing that the smaller things are going to feel better at some point point. Yeah. and leaning into that pain, leaning into that struggle. Um, that's that is where I think people typically will fall off mm-hmm. is between that 60 and 90 day period because the feelings come back. I don't have the ability to feel good at this point. There's no cookie that's going to fix this. There's n- there's nothing good that's going to fix this short of this thing. And the brain's doing that intentionally. Um, but being confident in your ability on what you say to yourself, what mantras you have. And really, I mean, you can utilize a lot of your brain's natural ability to be in that fight or flight state mm-hmm. effectively, right? And if, if my body is in a state of fear a worry, well, I can use the amygdala in that case. Anger is also an effective tool. If I'm already stuck in my amygdala well then let's just let's just be in the amygdala state, but one that I know that I can control and direct towards my goals yeah so you know i don't I don't necessarily like to lean on bravado, but there is some amount of bravado that can be useful, like some other man is going to raise your daughter, some other man is going to love your wife better than you are. And that is the moment where you can pound your chest, be as big of a gorilla as you need to be and say, no, I'm some other man. Yeah. This new version of me is that man that's gonna raise my kid, yeah. is gonna be the, the best husband to my wife. And you can use that kind of anger and aggression to suit you and at least it's directed towards moving forward with your goals. Yeah. But that that if you can get past that 90 to 120 day window when you just literally nothing feels good, when you get out of that and you start to notice these like small little moments when you just feel at peace in a way that you didn't before and these the tiniest little things will start to feel good again Mm -hmm. and you know my daughter she's three like daddy come lay with me in the yard and let's just stare at the clouds absolutely that is exactly where i want to be right now yeah this is why i went through the hard work then so i can experience like the full experience of this now which by comparison isn't this big dopamine spike, but the smaller things will feel so much more monumental. Mm-hmm. And being willing to go through that suffering is is only going to suit you and help you in that.
0: Yeah. Of course, it makes me think of like a million cliches of like trust the process, whatever, but it's real. You know, it also, you you talk about the, the numbness of only the highs feel like anything and everything else is just meh. Uh, that makes me think of, you know, you can't selectively numb is what I discovered in my own addiction of like, you know, at the end of the road there for me, it was, I'm choosing to be numb from grief. I do not want to grieve the loss of one of the most important people in my life. And so I'll do anything to outrun that spoiler. I couldn't outrun it. Uh, but that was a cognizant choice of like, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'd rather be numb. And then coming into recovery and being informed and seeing that it was true that, oh, I didn't just selectively numb. Like, yeah, I sort of numbed the bad, even though it still happened. And now I have to deal with that, but I didn't experience any of the good either. And that's a real bummer if you're in it. But the beautiful thing is that you can correct it. And to know that those initial, you know, times are weird and hard. But if you know that in advance and you have a support system, of course, around you that that can get around you and say like, hey, this is going to be gnarly and it's going to be worth it. Um, it's just so empowering. And you talk about the bravado thing. And as a female, I sit here having gone through hard things as people do, right? It's not my things are mine, but everybody's got their hard stuff. And I lean heavily on this discipline thing. And I lean heavily on the, it's whether it's my fault or not, I don't care. It's my problem. Mm -hmm. I lean heavily on that. And so all of those disciplines may give me a bit more masculine energy than the average bear. I get told that sometimes these days and I'm like, whatever. Okay. Uh, it allows me the opportunity to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And if it's just everybody else's whatever, then I can't do anything about it. So yeah, get mad at it, whatever, use the energy that you have to, to fuel the fire, to stick to your word and figure out that you're a human that's capable of sticking to your word. And that's definitely, you know, that was in my recovery from addiction was like, oh my gosh, for the first time in my life, I become a person that like, I I believe
1: me. I trust me, yep. which
0: had never been an experience prior to that. It was like, well, <laughs> see what happens. Right. Yeah. No,
1: absolutely. And, and that's the part where, when you act in a way where you've kind of lost your integrity, mm-hmm. it takes everything in you to be able to buy that back. Right. It, there's there's no amount of virtue signaling that you can go through to be able to get that integrity back. But you have to build it one step at a time, and yeah. that integrity comes from adhering to the promises that you made to yourself actions
0: words are weightless people's words are i mean my own in early recovery it was like sweetie what you have to say no one cares do the work
1: yeah and the work is going to happen when nobody's watching right and and especially with addictions like pornography where the addiction was in was in private the recovery is likely going to be in private but it doesn't have to be
0: yeah you didn't get a certificate Nobody, nobody like yeah. celebrated it publicly. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it wasn't like
1: you graduated the program. I, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't come on here and say like, oh yeah, I've been three years uh, sober of my porn addiction. And like, nobody's high-fiving that. They're like, oh wait, where's the hand sanitizer? Cause I just touched this man's hand. Like, right. Like there's, it's, it's so taboo, right? Like I, you don't get to celebrate that, um, in the slightest. Um, yeah. but, it, but it's not to say that it's worth celebrating, but it is, it is something that uh, is difficult in, in how private that is. But.
0: I think it's worth celebrating.
1: Well, and that's that's why we can be friends because I'm going to make it awkward and, and talk about it. And like, yeah, absolutely. I'm stoked about how long it has been for me since I've had any amount of relapse or any amount of issues because it's just that confidence. It's you know?
0: such a big deal. Yeah, We have this super weird thing with ourselves where we like, I encourage other people to celebrate literally anything. Like you did something went well in your life and I'm like, what are you doing to celebrate it? And then with myself, I'm like on to the next, you know? And I think that that's like very relatable, but so anytime, any sort of like thing that you did that was hard, that got you towards some goal, like any milestone, three months, six months, nine months, one year, 18 months, two years, whatever from an addiction standpoint, like it is worth celebrating. I remember at the six month part of me, like I was six months sober. And one of my girlfriends, who's not even in recovery, uh, she was like, What are you doing to celebrate it? And I was like, Nothing. What? Like, because to me, it was like, Well, you haven't done, like, six months is nothing, you right. know? Um, and she was like, Made me go to dinner with her that night. She was like, No, 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 we will stop and celebrate this. That's a good fact. And I'll tell that story for the rest of my life. And she's not even in the deal, you know? Right. But she was like, No, this actually really matters. I love that. Yeah. yeah.
1: When you do that with your fitness clients, right? Like, in, and that's the part where, Hey, every, every time that you did something that moves you more towards your goals, celebrate it as if you completed the goal, celebrate it as if you just finished the marathon, not as if you took the first step to go, you know, walk outside like celebrate every single step as if it's the monument itself and not just some, some little small pillar. Um, it's so hard to do, but you're exactly right. We don't, we don't celebrate that. But I think that's partly for me, like in helping other men through it is, sometimes you have to be the one to celebrate for them because they don't even know how to celebrate themselves. Totally.
0: Yeah. So I, I read that, and this is where quoting stats is hard. Cause I'm like, how much time did I have to do all the research to make sure that it was verifiable? But I read that one in six women struggle with this, which I think is just an interesting thing to point out that, you know, cause I think it's such an easy thing to just put off on men when in reality, like men and women very much so struggle with this. So you probably have more awareness on those details, than I do, perhaps? If not, that's okay.
1: No, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the science is starting to show higher than one out of six, actually. So um, we're actually coming into almost almost parody of each other. It's more of like a a 70, 30% of men versus women that, that struggle with porn addiction. Mm. And again, because the intent behind the content as it's being created, it's intended to be very viral. It's intended to meet all of the needs and what you have for it. There's big money behind it. uh, uh, There's significant amounts of money. Right. And uh, and I'm not here to try to like condemn or or demonize the industry itself. Like that is capitalism in a nutshell.
0: Yeah. And neither one of us are trying to
1: do that. But, if you have an audience of a large scale audience of women that you can potentially target, like, yeah, hey, you're going to create content that is, that is directed at them. Mm-hmm. Um, historically that was all in romance novels, right? But now you can add to the fact that you can create the same visual fantasy as you do for men. Like men are obviously more visual and like, maybe it's not obvious, but typically men are more visual, but you can still create emotional underpinnings um, in content just the same way as you do for, for men as you do for women. Yeah. Um, I personally feel more connected to speak to men about it just because of the fact that I think that that's easier for me to do um, yep. just given my own personal experience. But I do think that that is one of the hardest things right now is people not really even knowing what a resource looks like. So if you're a woman that is strongly with pornography, who do I talk to about this, right? And over the last 15 years, we've kind of been like, hey, women, your power is is your sexual energy and you have control over this thing. So strong women hear you roar when it comes to your sexuality, that like there's still these same types of underlying messaging that's being told to both men and women with respect to sexuality. That's potentially being validated by pornography an addictive addictive substance right
0: what would you say to a woman saying i would like a resource for something i don't like the way that i'm dealing with this
1: um so i mean there there are um coaches online that do specifically focus on this um i wish that i had come with her name i just recently um, found one okay Um, can
0: you give that to me shortly hereafter yeah Yeah, absolutely cool i'll mm -hmm. put it in the description
1: Perfect. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, there's, and it's the same thing. Uh, her story is very similar to to mine in that she came across pornography at a very young age and kept it very hidden and had this like shame around it that yeah. continued to build. So it yeah. exists, it's available. Um, I think the, the biggest thing for me that I care a lot about is actually helping both men and women and couples be able to talk about it Yeah. because that is significantly a hard thing when you have a a spouse who feels their own level of trauma relating to the pornography addiction, potentially the infidelity, and just this kind of betrayal of trust. Mm-hmm. It's never about the, por- the porn itself, but right. just the nature and the actions around it. That How do you help a spouse be able to have conversations around pornography with, with the person who is the addict of the two? like that's also something that I feel very strongly about because that's something my wife and I went through. I had to kind of coach her on. I know that you want to know about the last time that I looked at pornography or the last time I saw it, but I, I can't just immediately tell you this was the time and date and this was the situation because she might have the, the initial inclination to put it on herself and to feel her own sense of shame and guilt that, her actions are directly related to me having a rel- relapse mm. when that's not the case. Like, yeah. I am in charge of myself. It's my job to keep my side of the street clean. And. F- both of us will continue to repair our trust for each other and how that looks, but being able to help them develop language on how to talk about it. And rather than focusing on the time and the place more so on like, what were you feeling? Like, what did that remind you of where in your body did you feel it? Because I mean, obviously we can understand the arousal, but the anxiety around it, where did you feel the anxiety? Where did you feel the distress, not the arousal? Obviously we've all been to um, elementary school and middle school sex ed class, but those are the things I think that more people need to learn and understand.
0: Yeah. Well, and I love that the part there, what stands out to me is just the the ownership of like, you know, it's been such a gift to come to understand that like everyone else's actions around me, people that I love, et cetera, like th- that ultimately none of that is my responsibility. I can't take ownership of anything that any other individual chooses to do. It's, my own and my own only that I can own you know and so if you do something that hurts me it's not because you wanted to hurt me it's because something was going on with you and so if I love you and I want to maintain this relationship maybe I try to have conversation with you around this but also like you're a human and you're gonna do what is right and true for you and I mean it's just that's a that's I feel like a whole other rabbit hole but Not owning other people's actions, I think is a useful
1: call out. Well, I think, you know, in terms of that recovery process, again, there's some amount of how do I act when I get turned down, like for sex, if I'm initiating, but I get turned down for whatever reason, healthy reasons, reasonable reasons, what is the story that I'm going to tell myself? Mm -hmm. Because I'm still in charge of what I do after that moment even if I'm not the one that said no. Mm. And in the same way, my wife shouldn't have to feel like she has to have sex with me because she feels this fear or worry that she's responsible for me having a relapse or turning back to this other substance, um, outside of our marriage. Right? Like that's, those are all emotional triggers that we have to learn how to communicate and talk about. Mm. Um, but ultimately I am responsible for my own recovery despite what she does or doesn't do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think this is so cool because what comes up for me when you talk through all this is I just keep thinking about the fact that like this topic is such a challenging one to to navigate and to choose to navigate publicly and just be like you're just doing the best that you can you know right. and and I, I just that for some reason is I'm like you know like we talked about before we actually started recording and it was like I'll probably touch on the fact that like hey listen this is not comfortable right um but it's important so I'm gonna do it anyway.
1: Yeah. And and you and I both see very eye to eye on, on having a a level of brevity, right? Like, Hey, I I don't want to air all of my dirty laundry, but there are some dirty socks that we need to talk about. yeah, Right. And just so being able to have that levity, it's useful and we can either laugh or we can cry. And you and I both are like, we choose to laugh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, For real. Um, okay. So I do want to ask you, what are some of the tools? So I know that you, you know, you're, you're coaching it currently and then you're also the workbook is a work in progress um and you so people can come to you for more information around this but um at Rogue you talked about Rogue Invitational the the event that we were both at this past weekend you were working really hard having a lot of positive experiences interacting with people that you are inspired by you name it like we both were right and so you were talking to me about which is actually what kind of led to this thing you were talking about uh I know that I'm in a situation right now for the course of three days ish or whatever, where I am high, I am high, high, high dopamine is through the roof. I'm going to have to deal with myself after this. Mm -hmm. And so what am I going to do? And so you were talking about specific actions that you were planning to take in the days after the event to bring yourself back down to baseline safely,
1: right? Yeah. And so the conversation really comes down to like you and I both feel a lot of energy being around people. Um, so f- just for the sake of uh, the audience, three days, I was doing a lot of work with the Hope project. We had five events in three days. So yeah. all weekend long, I'm surrounded by people. I'm loving on people. I'm cheering. I'm getting excited for them. I'm you know, praying for people. I'm you know, connecting with different athletes. Obviously, these are amazing athletes, the best athletes in the world at their sport. Um, and so there's just this like high that you're going to get from that
0: without a doubt,
1: people would say, Oh, it's a natural high though. Well, no, dopamine doesn't know whether it's, it's all internal yeah. <laughs> of that experience. So having a plan for one beforehand, what are we, what do I even do before that event to actually also decrease my own dopamine and my own internal state and then post-actively, same thing. So, well,
0: and so, for me, yeah. I'll just point out, cause I'm, you're going to go there, but for me, a lot of that, pre and post is uh, like I, before every day I had to have a conversation with myself and with God for me mm-hmm. about, Hey, uh, let's keep that ego in check. Yeah. You know, cause I get to have so many positive interactions and I can easily try to take ownership of that and be like, this is cause I'm so great. And that's like, absolutely. That does, that's, that's ego food. And I am real hyper aware of like, where's she at? You know, I don't, don't, mm-mm. You right. know, like, anyway, carry on.
1: Yeah. I and mean, we can definitely do that. And like, even if you're serving others, you can still be like, well, look how great I am at serving others. You know, it, Absolutely. <laughs> it absolutely can turn that circle. When so, people
0: constantly affirm for you yeah, that you're so good at serving others, yeah. you're like, I must be so good at serving others. Right. And I love it. Look at me go. And then it's like, hold up, hold up, hold up. This was a gift given to you. Right. Anyway.
1: Yeah. You're moving <laughs> in your purpose, but you still have to be yeah. intentional with how you come down off of it. Yeah. Right? And. And I think that's the part. So in the conversation you and I had, we we talked about how do you come down off of an event like that? That's a long, prolonged tie. You're obviously physically exhausted. I think I put on... Um, my Apple watch said 25,000 steps each of the three days. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm 230 pounds. So that many steps, like my body was not made for that. Um, so you feel this like physical exhaustion. You also feel this dopamine exhaustion, right? So I peaked it for so many days, it is going to plummet and you are going to just feel this overwhelming sense of blah, Mm -hmm. just nothingness. Yep and life sucks time to binge whatever oh yeah it's yeah. It, it's but it's just becomes a vacuum of need in that moment and if you're not hypercritical and hyper aware of that fact that you're going to be in this vacuum you might start to return to all of these dopaminergic behaviors that's when the tv binges happen the social media binges the porn binges the alcohol binges the food binges all the binge happens potentially in that vacuum yeah and unless you're very intentional with it. I'm not saying that you can't watch some, uh, whatever TV, Netflix, I definitely did that. But at that was end, a
0: safer container for you today.
1: It was safer, but I also had to choose like what I was going to watch and be very intentional with like, here are the things I'm going to watch. Here are the things that I'm not going to watch. But then on top of that, like actively seeking pain because pain and dopamine it, it sits on the same scale. They're just opposite of each other, right? And so I can actually expedite the process for me normalizing my dopamine response by intentionally seeking pain. So Sunday, for those who weren't in Austin, uh, torrential downpour. And on top of that, we had this crazy cold front. Slash through. cold.
0: And we're not built for that here.
1: No, 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 no. I, <laughs> I am a warm-blooded man. I, I sunbathe. I actually don't mind the 110-degree temps. Yeah, me neither. I so say... behaved
0: like a child Sunday. Like I was like throwing fits in the cold. <laughs> I hated it.
1: So, and that's why I put on a 40-pound vest and I decided to go for a three-mile rock in that cold. Yep. Because I didn't want to. Yep. Because it was going to suck. Yep. I was going to hate it. You can't really listen to AirPods with that either. So, you're also in the quiet. And giving time for those thoughts, giving time for just receiving all of that, sitting with that suck for a bit, Mm -hmm. and again, like this isn't this isn't bravado of look how tough I am, blah blah blah. Because then, like, like that doesn't serve you either.
0: These are tools that are serving you absolutely. Yeah. There's no bravado in that. There's I'm doing the best that I can to navigate life well so that I can show up for myself and the people that I love as best as possible because that's a priority to me. That's all I hear. I don't hear an ounce of bravado.
1: Oh, yeah. And I, I think the reason why I point that out is because when when you look at people like you and me, because physically we portray this masculinity, muscularity, physical, all of these physical specimen things. Yes that they are assuming that there's this confidence that comes with it and bravado that comes with it. Okay. That I am now doing this really hard thing to just show off how tough I am versus doing this hard thing because I know that I need it. Totally. So I can I can show up the way that I'm supposed to. Um, and that's, especially for me, My my wife and daughter were out of town for the whole weekend while I was doing this event that I had every opportunity to sure. be able to imbibe. And again, this is what I do in my solitude so that I can honor the promises that I made to myself, to my spouse and my purpose. Mm.
0: So since you've been in recovery from this for a while, what, uh, what do you feel like are the takeaways that make it worthwhile worthwhile? you, recognize, Hey, this is having negative repercussions on a thing. That's a really big priority to me. I want to do something about it. You choose to do something about it. You've been doing something about it for quite a while. You continue to take proactive action to stay doing something about it. So what have you gained?
1: Why was it worthwhile? I I love that question. Um, I'll tell you that the, the emotional and physical intimacy that I have with my wife is better than it's ever been. Like the love that we have for each other is immense to the point where, um, as big as I am, I'm just a big baby oftentimes. Like I'm, I'm the emotional sensitive one Cry. Do between it. My, myself and my wife. Like yeah. she's, she's the tough one as yeah. women are. I'm, I'm, I'm the blubbering baby. Right. I love it. Um, but so just this like connection that we have and love that we have for each other we're actually expecting our second child right now. Let's go. So yeah, she's due at the end of end of March. And it's another girl too. So I love being a girl dad. And so getting to be a girl dad times two, I'm stoked for it. I oh,
0: really am. I'm so excited for y'all. Me too. right? Yeah. And, and
1: especially because of the fact that like, throughout the whole process of addiction and recovery, that we spent a long time deciding for us to even want to have a second kid. Like yeah. There was a long time where it was just like, no, we're not even gonna talk about it. It's not even in the cards. But getting to that point where like we feel so much love for each other and our current family and we're obsessed with our daughter, just like any parent is. So, like, you just have these rose-colored glasses on. My kid's the best. Yeah, yeah. Every other kid sucks. Um, I don't want to see your baby photos because I – I have a baby.
0: Yeah. She's yeah, I, cooler. I got, I got
1: one of those and she's, <laughs> she's dope. Um, but so just the fact that like the way that I explain it to other men is that you can be fully known and fully loved at the same time and you can have that and you can be heard, and you can, like, I think for a lot of men, where because they don't know how to communicate how they're feeling, the only feelings that typically come out are these just like bravado, masculine, aggressive behaviors, when it's like, no, you can be fully known, you can be fully understood, and loved, and still respected as the the man of your household, while still being In being able to feel what you're feeling, Mm -hmm. being able to be sensitive to your own emotions while still being respected and honored as the man of your house. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's the part where I feel like I feel very called to help other men with this is because I can show them you can still be this tough masculine male with this external portrayal of masculinity while also still being able to acknowledge that the overall sexualization of your addiction with pornography or your use of pornography doesn't have to appeal to all of that masculinity outwardly. Right? So
0: it sounds to me like easily the biggest takeaway from choosing to continue to do the work to overcome these addictive behaviors that are just part of being human and ones that you have grappled with for decades, whether it was substances, whether it was porn, whether it was food, whether it was social media, you name it. The biggest takeaway I'm hearing is I'm just continuing to get reps that prove to me that I am worth something. You know, like, like, cause you're not putting a band aid on it to, to like cope with it. You're like, now I'm doing the work so that I'm affirming to myself. Like I am that. Right. I can be this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's no longer affirmations that you're saying into the mirror, right? This yeah. is undeniable proof that I am exactly who I say I am mm-hmm. inside and out. Mm-hmm. Right. Versus, all right, I've checked all the boxes of I'm good at the school. I'm good at the, at, at sports. I'm good at these outward things. It's like, no, I have this pride that I have been willing to do all of the hard work, not just the external hard work that pra- I get praise from other people on. Yeah. I'm willing to do the hard work that I can praise myself and feel the sense of internal pride that literally no one can take from me.
0: Right. Right. And the value of that makes it worthwhile. Cause I think that's the thing is, you know, I, I don't know if before coming to a place of absolute desperation for me would have made this whole hard work thing. Right. Like I think it was like, cool. Congratulations. Okay. I don't have to work that hard. Yeah. And then I reach the point of desperation with my own experiences to go, okay, well, in order for you to be okay with you, you will have to do some things. Yeah. And that hard work is just invaluable. You're right. Nobody can take it from you. And those affirmations mean nothing if you cannot hold your word to yourself. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. Is there anything else on that that you want to touch on that you feel like we didn't cover?
1: Um, no, I mean, we covered a lot. I think um, there's, there's a lot to be said about just really taking, taking every thought that you have, every belief that you have, and just kind of holding them loosely and separating them from who you say you are mm-hmm. and your identity. And that whole process makes a huge difference to be able to say, I don't have to give energy to every thought that I have. I don't have to give every energy to every feeling that I have even, right? Mm-hmm. I'm allowed to feel the feelings, but I don't have to give energy to them if they don't continue to motivate me towards the values and the goals that I have for myself. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's
0: one of the things that that makes me think of is, uh, is something I was taught a couple of years ago. We don't make long-term decisions based on short-term emotions. And I absolutely love that. And I'm not going to pretend to be a perfect human that absolutely nails that because that would be, a little, that would be untrue. But at least today, whenever things occur, good, bad, ugly, whatever, that I catch myself in a heightened emotional state, it's a good red flag that maybe I should sit with that for a moment right. and not do any sort of reactive decision-making anything and just get gain some outside perspective, get a little bit of time in between me and the thing that's making me feel a certain type of way. Like, does that actually resonate? Does that make sense? Does that align with the type of person that I want to show up as? Right. Which is way easier said than done. Oh, absolutely. But very valuable.
1: But the the hardest part about doing internal work like that is it is hard to quantify. But there are these moments when when all of a sudden these extreme moments of emotion, when you can start to see, hey, I didn't show up the same way that I would have five years ago. Gosh, yes. Right? Totally. And that's when it's all of a sudden these like aha moments of like, wow, I did this before. And I have to share this painful example Um, about... Eight or nine weeks into the pregnancy, we believed that my wife was having a miscarriage. All the signs were pointing to that. And that was extremely traumatic. Like we were in the emergency room at 10 o'clock at night on a, on a Friday night. It is a, it is a place of hell, right? Like you're just the lights, the people that are coming into emergency room, like yeah. that is not the place that you want to be. Yeah, and you at 10 think you're losing your child. Night. Like, yeah, no, that's... Especially after as much like time that we had spent like preparing for potentially having the second child. Yeah. And yet in that place all i felt with this was this like sense of calm and purpose like this is exactly where i'm supposed to be this is exactly the person that i'm here to support and how am i showing up emotionally for this person in this space mm-hmm. 5 years prior to that it would have not been the case yep it would not have been the case mm-hmm. and it's as as trivial as that may sound that you can look at those kind of differences There's this confidence that you get from that, and then just this overwhelming peace. And obviously, my faith plays a part of that. I was going to say it's faith, yeah. Yeah, that just like there's this connection to this thing that's bigger than me. I happen to call that God with a capital G. You call it what you want, yeah. But this feeling, that overwhelming sense of calm and peace and presence, like that's otherworldly. That like this isn't natural. I shouldn't. I shouldn't be feeling what I'm feeling. I should be flipping the tables right now, trying to get my wife seen faster in the emergency room. But at the end of it, like all was well all the things were good. Baby's healthy, mommy's healthy. And just being able to have this like calm and peace in that moment and showing up exactly the way that I was supposed to. Yeah. With this emotional resilience, not emotional resistance, right? I'm not trying to belittle or, or diminish the emotions, but resilience to those emotions. Mm-hmm. And and that's just this superpower that I feel like everybody should want. Like you should want to have that.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that makes me think of something that Craig loves to say that was a few episodes back, you know, you're running out of time. You know, he yeah. always says when it comes to these, like making decisions to like, uh, improve your quality of life and be the person that you actually want to be and not just be, as he says, peeing on the page.
1: Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's so great. Craig, Craig nails it. Every yeah.
0: Time. He's so good. But yeah, he was like, uh, yeah, he just, he's like, you're running out of time. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing with your life? You're running out of time. And I'm like, dang, you're right, bro. You're right. So let's do some things. Okay. So let me ask you, what is something that you are doing? You feel that you are doing well, that you would like to continue to do better or do more of?
1: Oh, I love this. Um, I I will say one of the things that I did when I started my recovery, uh, instead of calling it sobriety, I called it clarity. Okay. Because for me, what I noticed was in removing pornography, I felt so much clarity in my thinking and focus and ability to focus. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I feel like I'm doing really well right now is really being adequate with how I'm spending my time. Um, My process throughout the day for when I get up, how, what I like, literally everything I do each day is regimented. I mean, I'm a director for the whole project I'm working on pornelimination.com. I have a separate coaching business for life coaching and physical fitness. I'm also in full time as a dedicated customer success manager for a tech company out of the Bay Area. That's what pays the bills. Mm -hmm. And yet I still spend, I still get the time in to get my 20 minutes of hit three, four days a week an hour and a half at the gym getting my weight training in while also getting my journaling and Bible study. Like I do all of these things. So for me, like the thing that I feel like I'm doing the best is having this clarity and focus so then I can handle all of these tasks while still being able to shut all of it off. So at five o'clock, I am full-time dad. I am not anything else to anybody else. And being able to emotionally show up in that space that I'm not still carrying the baggage from a call that didn't go well. I'm not struggling with you know, something else that, that needs to be addressed. I can immediately put all of that down and I am dad to a three-year-old kid. And that's something that I feel over the moon and proud of my mm-hmm. ability to do that. And it comes from this increased focus and clarity that I never had prior to getting rid of this addiction.
0: I love it. Yeah. If that's not worthwhile, I don't know what is. It's, it's so interesting to be at a place of like peacefulness day to day. Cause I feel like I kind of hang out there a lot, which is like, Whoa, crazy cool. Not all the time. Not all the time. I still ha- having big goals means you have to like deal with yourself. I will say that like I have yep. big goals and I have to deal with myself of like always striving. Right. And sometimes it's <laughs> a little exhausting, but also being able to show up peacefully and in mm-hmm. even just, you know, all those years of like desperate for you to love me. And now I'm just like, we're going to be just fine. I still that's still in there, but like, I'm, I'm good with me, you know? Um, but presence, you know, being able to be present, like that was just a foreign concept, a short matter of time ago. And it's just such a cool thing. Um, okay. So what are three things that you are grateful for today?
1: Um, the first most obvious, um, is my wife again. Um, she is an absolute warrior. Um, I call her my, Britt's oh, the best, uh, <laughs> which is, which is why I picked her. Um, no, I'm kidding. I had, had no choice in that. Um, she's just a warrior queen. I call her my warrior queen all the time. I love that nickname. Yeah. Yeah. You can't take it. I, Go I, off I, queen. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, she's, she's my warrior queen. Um, so yeah, I'm just so grateful for her. So grateful for her heart. Obviously like, the my faith is rooted into our relationship which you know for some would seem difficult but to me it just motivates me so much Mm -hmm. um that I feel more connected with God through her and through our marriage um so super grateful for her I'm also grateful for my daughter um which again just seems really uh of course girl dad thing to say but The thing that I'm most thankful about is that she's reminding me of what it means to be emotionally intelligent, emotionally healthy. I can't teach her to be emotionally intelligent, emotionally healthy if I'm not myself, Mm -hmm. right? How do you deal with a three-year-old? Which mind you, everyone's heard of the terrible twos they don't realize that a three-year-old is just a two-year-old with one year of experience, right? And so like you are seeing somebody who's capable of emotionally manipulating you Mm -hmm. or having their own chemical bomb of emotions going off. And how do you sit with that? Mm -hmm. How do you be present with that? How do you make it to where when she's screaming, you're not hearing, you're a terrible dad. You're a terrible dad, right? And just being present and available to that. Mm -hmm. So I'm thankful for her, not just in the fact that she's my daughter and she's awesome, but the lessons that I am learning and having to like relearn what life is all about and getting to experience that with her all over again. Mm -hmm. So amazing, it's such a cool experience. Um, uh, The last one, just due to the proximity, um, my grandpa died today. So very thankful for my grandpa. He taught me a lot of things. Um, He he didn't graduate past the seventh grade, so wasn't necessarily a well-educated man, Um, but he was a avid reader. Uh, he was also good at all of the most random things. Mm. Uh, he was really good at just being able to find a four leaf clover. We grew up in Washington, so he was just always that guy who could just stand back and be able to like point them out. And crazy at that, he taught me how to throw knives, uh, axes, and do archery. So completely random. But during COVID, I built an axe throwing target. That's um, cool. To do that, yeah, super cool. Fishing archery he was also an amazing artist so just one of those guys that he just taught me what it meant to to be just a a complete renaissance man and good at all of the things um even though on paper that wasn't the case um he was a very strong motivator for me as a kid and i'd say a lot of the things i've achieved as an adult is out of respect and honor for him Mm -hmm. um but also just recognizing that he was still he still battled a lot And so for me, like I feel like I honor him by winning the battle, Mm -hmm. the battles that he faced. I'm winning those the Mm -hmm. way that I'm showing up and the way that I'm doing the work. So Mm -hmm. super grateful for him. And, uh, yeah,
0: I like it. Those are great. I, So my three gratitudes today, one is going to be, uh, I'm grateful that you are here and choosing to show up in the way that you do in life, right? That we get to have this conversation in this container is way, way cool. The fact that it's a priority to you to come do this thing, even on a day when this happened in your life, um, that you feel so called to speak to this topic, which is rather uncomfortable to do, uh, and has had a lot of impact on your life, but because you're so driven to hopefully be able to use your experience to help others in some way. Uh, I have gratitude for that. So thank you. Uh, I have gratitude for the fact that the sun is shining outside right now because it is and for the past few days it wasn't so much and like you girl she'd be liking sunshine. Mm-hmm. So it makes simple. A but heck yeah, it does. And then, uh, the third thing that I'm going to be grateful for is, uh, just the location in which I live and the humans in which I have access to as a result of being here, that I get to sit down and have these real life conversations that I get to leave here and go train with another individual that inspires the heck out of me, whatever it is. Like, I'm like, it's so cool that, that being in a place here today. Austin is just this Mecca of wonderful humans. So I'm grateful for the place where I live. So, um, okay. Where can they find you, support you if they want to, uh, have further conversations with you about this topic? If it spoke to them, where, where can they do that?
1: Yeah. So, uh, dot is the website for the addiction coaching, Uh, social media. I'm actually on LinkedIn, uh, the place where HR still has a a place. So (laughs) there's some amount of professional decorum still on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, That's where a lot of my content is. I post regularly there about life coaching, physical fitness, uh, mental health, and and other things.
0: Yep, and I'll put those down in the description below, guys. So um, that is all we have for you today. I just want to remind you that... We appreciate you choosing to spend your time with us and hope that it was valuable in some way. I certainly think there's no way that this type of a conversation can't be. Uh, It was valuable for me. It was insightful for me. You gave me a window into something that I still don't fully understand and gave me the opportunity to have a conversation that was a hard conversation to have. You made it easy, but it's a hard conversation to have. So um, anyway, If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you please follow the show, rate and review it where you're consuming it, share it with somebody that you think it will positively impact. That's definitely the biggest ask. And other than that, we just hope that you choose to have a beautiful day.